0: Right then, welcome or welcome back to the Midnight Podcast where we have super in-depth, authentic, super transparent, open conversations with an array of different entrepreneurs from many different industries. I really want to make this a podcast known for going super in-depth on loads of topics that other podcasts are scared to speak about. I feel like most stuff out there these days is just super surface level, super vanilla and doesn't really answer the questions that viewers and listeners want to hear. So that's what we're trying to do. Keep it real and keep it raw. Sure you'll get a huge amount of value listening or watching the pod wherever you are and if you do don't forget to subscribe recommend it to a friend leave a like and a comment and just let us know what you think and yeah really hope you enjoy this episode right then back with episode 25 i think at the midnight pod i did one yesterday then realized that should have been episode 26 because of the way i'm putting these out but we have Max Witcher. that's how I say your name, right? Yep, correct. And I thought that I'd met Max before at a previous flat party like two years ago, but it turned out that I hadn't. And it was a friend or something that looked very like you, I swear. <laughs> My um, fans. Yeah, and then you were recommended to come on by someone else. So I'm not even sure how I know them. Someone on Instagram, and they said you had a crazy life story, loads of, loads of shit to talk about, which is no, no pressure now. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited to get into it. I think you've got... Lot to fucking tell us about and dive into. And I guess, as usual, first question basically, who the fuck are you? What do you do? Who the fuck are you? I guess maybe like keep it fairly chronological and then we can dive into a billion different things. Sweet. Sounds good. I'll try not to ramble because. um, Definitely do ramble. It's good. All right. Okay. Cool.
1: Um, (laughs) Where should I start? Fuck. Um, So. School, probably. Um, I wasn't super academic at school. Um, I was really into cycling, Um, basically just sport in general, anything to get me out of school, but obviously stay in school to a certain extent. Um, Super into cycling, started working at my local cycle business when I was like 16. Um, Had lots of fun, obviously really enjoyed the practical side of things, spent more of my time working in the shop than going to school definitely like missing lots of exams towards the end of school um obviously love being practical and earning money I think I was super money motivated can't hide from the truth yeah. um at a very young age which we can dive into in a bit more detail further down the line but um yeah started that had loads of fun um but essentially continued to like get more and more involved um as I got older so I stayed on to do A-levels at school even though I probably shouldn't have Um, But it felt like the right thing to do. Basically go with the crowd. Um, Had, um, yeah, basically got more involved in the cycle business. um, Started managing it. um, Looking after it while my boss was on holiday. And then one day he turned around and said, "Um, do you want to buy it off me? And I was like, wow. Um, Obviously I would love to, but I have zero pounds to my name. And I do not come from a, a wealthy family. My parents definitely didn't have any money to like support on that. Um, And he continued the conversation a little bit. He was basically planning to retire, wanted to move away from the business, equally sort of didn't want to sell it to just a nobody or or an anybody. Mm. Um, And he eventually um, offered me the business on a private loan. Um, And because I'd been working there sort of as a yeah manager for a long time I sort of like knew the business inside out or what I thought was inside out obviously <laughs> it's very different managing to owning um, and then got into that um, started um, going through the motions of buying the business off him on a private loan I kind of felt like it was a bit of a no-brainer at the time because all my friends were going off to university I didn't really or um, well, it definitely wasn't the right option for me because I wasn't that academic um, and ended up sort of getting myself into the equivalent debt of going to uni like twice yeah. um, through a private loan basis. It felt very de risk to me. Like this is my blind optimism at that age. Um, essentially, yeah, didn't really see um, the downside. It was an established business. It was already making revenue. I was already paying, uh, I was already earning a wage um, and I was still living at home at the time. So mm. like there was zero risk. So obviously went for it, made the punt did that had fun built and grew the business like got into some i mean the first year was carnage um definitely like owning a business is very different to managing a business i was signing checks without any money in the account essentially and just like hoping that I i would um make enough money on the weekend for that to go in and that was like probably my biggest oversight was that um, I had this business but I didn't have any money to run the business and obviously mm. cash flow is really important so I learned very quickly around like cash, um, sold like 25% of the stock immediately just to give myself a cash flow buffer, i had like a couple of grand to my name when I started this so genuinely nothing, mm. um, did that, had fun. Um, basically a couple of fraudulent transactions came through I had people buy bikes pay for well (laughs) I thought they paid for the bikes take the bikes probably 10 grand's worth at the time and then like a month later I'd get a letter from HSBC being like this was a fraudulent transaction charge back on the card and obviously that was a lot of money when I was starting off Um, but did that essentially like it was definitely like sink or swim I knew that I basically I didn't really have an option um, but to make it work Um, at the end of the day, um, worst case scenario, I had the rest of my life to pay it off if it didn't work. Mm. Um, but I really had to like double down and focus on it. Um, so I did, did that over like four or five years, paid off the, it was a five year loan, I think. And then I paid it off in four years, very like basically as quickly as possible. Mm. Um, and then got to that point where I was like, what next? Starting to get itchy feet. My options for growth within the industry were like geographical expansion or online expansion um both of which um were obviously interesting but geographical didn't really feel like the right thing to do like rents and rates were increasing high streets were dying yeah um so forth and then online expansion was obviously much more exciting to me i built basically when i took over the business it was a local business for local people and then i started um by creating online shops like immediately because i was at that age where i was obviously digitally and socially savvy but in a unique commercial situation um and that was basically good fun um built the business from selling like locally to then nationally and internationally um and then yeah my options for growth were like online didn't really feel like the right thing to do like um there was a couple of big players that were like private equity backs like wiggle and chain reaction who Mm. i would be competing to Um, And it would have taken like a capital injection, which I didn't really have or was willing to spend. So naturally, I just started consulting like very organically to businesses that I stocked in the shop. Very selfishly, to be honest, like I would have, um, I stocked a couple of brands um, that were like less well known, but like great products. So like an Italian road bike brand, for example, was like this pinnacle moment for me, which... um, really cool product, um, loads of heritage, like a of the world, but no one really knew about them. People would come in and be like, oh, it's really cool, I love that. But I Google them and there's no like presence whatsoever. Mm. And I was like, fuck sake. So um, I basically started building that presence for them, like selfishly. Then that got more involved and then they put me on a re- small retainer to like build their social. Initially, this was when like businesses like, didn't have social accounts Mm. and then i started building the social accounts and then i started managing the social accounts and then um basically realized that there was a huge opportunity here from a commercial perspective um at that point i then met my now business partner alex who had just left um his agency he was working for one of the big agencies in town called essence they look after brands like google youtube ft stuff like that so he's sort of like took a slightly more traditional route, went to university to business, international studies, marketing, grad scheme, big agency, but clearly had like a very entrepreneurial, um, you know, personality. And once he had worked at the big agency and seen them grow, he realized that like he was just becoming a number. So left to start his own business. Unbeknown to me at the time, Um, He was going to launch a bike brand. So he was doing like the B2B approach. I was doing the B2C approach, essentially selling to customers Mm. through retail and online. Um, He was importing bikes from Taiwan into the UK, um, had a flagship shop in Covent Garden, Seven Dials, did really well like building the brand. But similarly to me, like using social basically as the way forward. Um, The industry is very old school and stagnant. So... Um, we had an immediate competitive advantage just by being proactive and digitally savvy. So it was like massive blessing in disguise. We got introduced through a friend of a friend and just connected. Um, I think I reached out to my LinkedIn and being like, hey, do you want to do a knowledge share session? Mm. I really want to know about agencies. And I feel like I could probably add a load of value from the bike industry because you, you're ultimately selling to people like me. And I got loads of dealer margin contract information that's probably useful. Um, so we did that, had fun. <laughs> I keep saying had fun. Yeah. This is me covering up the lack of fun in this yeah, boring um, section. But um, we started consulting together. Basically, I, I got like major imposter syndrome. The brand, the main brand, the Italian road bike brand that I was consulting for, like we kept on asking for more bigger stuff. I had to go up to see their um, like CEO a couple of times and I felt very out of my depth. I was very much like a... Scrappy self taught entrepreneur, and I felt like Alex had just had the polish and finesse. He's that's my business partner now. Mm. Um, so I got him involved from the consulting perspective, and because he had that agency background, he definitely held like had a lot of weight to bring. Um, we did some projects together, had loads of fun, dedicated one day a week to it. That one day a week turned into five days a week. Um, we ended up merging the businesses, the cycling businesses. I had a warehouse with a team of relatively Um, capable people um so we merged the businesses took his brand into the retail business that i had um and then basically just um got an md in to run the cycle businesses and then we thought we'd double down on the social media consulting social media consulting then quickly spiraled into what is now is spin brands agency so fast forward six years or so
0: your fellows quick one first bit of promo for the pod you may or may not have heard i released a fucking e-com course a few months ago basically spent like six months making it because i was in between businesses as you probably know if you follow my shit i must say 12 hours long it's fucking quality content i was gonna drop it at like 1500 quid with some bullshit guru-y webinar and all that rubbish but as you know it's not my main thing i'm working on a new brand right now very very fucking much in the trenches which is why i think it's actually a better course than everything else out there because it's built on real experience of my brands in the past and my current one i think it's super super valuable if you're interested in e-com you're already in e-com and you want. To get into ecom, zero to one, starting a brand from scratch, then definitely worth investing in. Link is in the bio of this video or podcast. Spotify, Apple Music, wherever the fuck you're listening or watching, and enjoy the rest of the pod.
1: Um, we've got a social agency which is about forty people, looks after about sixty different brands across twenty different countries. Specialists, Dude. not generalist. Mm. Um, based in Waterloo, have lots of fun with that. <laughs> Um, Is that actual fun this time? Yeah, that's actual fun. No, genuinely, like there's, um, yeah, it's um, pe- like we, we basically from the cycling industry, we had this itch for, or like craving for something a little bit more scalable. We realized that cycling industry, as much as we were initially drawn to it through our like passions and hobbies, logistically it's like chaotic. There's so many pieces. Uh, there's so many people taking a slice of the pie. Um, and you have to work very hard for like, what is a 10% EBIT at the end of the year. Mm. Um, and we wanted something more scalable. Little do we know we were going into a people-based business, which isn't the most scalable thing in the world, but yeah. for us, it felt very scalable. And even now is um, obviously a lot more exciting. Um, but we really started the social agency because we saw an opportunity in the market when neither of us had like this burning sensation to become like marketeers um we just happened to be business owners doing it for ourselves successfully who kind of started advising and then that advising meant that we didn't want to necessarily be doing the advising ourselves the whole time so we hired people and then those people mm-hmm. obviously ended up creating what's now as the agency and that's kind of my story up until now so definitely not the most exciting there's less sex drugs rock and roll
0: in there than you were probably hoping for no no it's good That's fucking hell you, you're good at speaking that was, that was a nice that was a 12 minute answer to a question I like <laughs> that sorry so, no it's good so what happened to the, the bike brand itself then
1: uh, the, yeah good question so how did that merge yeah.
0: was it both at one point or what yeah
1: so definitely both at one point which was very stressful it was like a um, obviously there was I had like yeah like I said like a capable team there's about five or six people running the business um for a long time and the online side was obviously relatively easy to keep an eye on from a distance mm. i moved up to london about 10 years ago now um sold the cycle business two years ago um similarly to how i bought it on a management buyout, essentially yeah. um and that was kind of always the plan so like um we the md that we got in at the time to run the business we were sort of like grooming ready for the purchase one day but Um, So that was a relatively smooth process when it happened. It was a beginning of pandemic. So like I was very conscious that because he was buying it on a management buyout, I needed to ensure that he was successful and like survived to get a full payout. Um, But equally, I wanted to maximize a bit of that as well on the way up. Um, I'm not sure if you remember, but at the very beginning of the pandemic, there was like the first... um, two months or so where everyone when it's lockdown and then we were like enforced to do the exercise and everyone was cycling mm. basically and then and then supply chain fell apart because there were no bikes in the country yeah. um, so that was tricky but yeah in short the cycling brand um, is still going um, and doing very well they've actually just built a cafe so they've got a bit more they've gone a bit more community centric mm. I was a bit lot more like online social community centric and they're yeah. a bit more physical again um but yeah, my first exit, it doesn't really feel like an exit, but it still is a yeah. feeling and it's quite nice to know that
0: I built it and then also departed relatively amicably. Yeah, nice. Um, I can't believe the fucking pandemic was two years ago. I know. You it's mad when mad, you say isn't that because so much has happened. I know, and uh it's like, just a big blur for me no and a lot of other people. It's like, yeah, Jesus Christ, 2020, 2021. It is a big blur. I feel like I'm getting old when you say that. Yeah. How old are you now?
1: I'm twenty-nine. Um so yes. Yeah, the cycle business when I was 19 Um, did that for like four or five years basically cut my teeth I suppose like learning like Mm. how to not ruin a business like learning a lot about cash flow Um, and then yes we're about six years old now the spin
0: brands which is the social agency did you ever think about going to uni Um, yeah I did it's it's pretty niche yeah fucking just buy a bike shop I know
1: it's so random isn't it Um, I did think about going to uni I actually felt very, like, peer pressured into going to university. I remember, like, quite clearly being um, a lesson where you were writing your personal statements. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, miss, what do I do if I don't want to go to uni? And she was like, just write a personal statement. I was like, yeah, legit. okay, cool, thanks. It's the system. Um, exactly. And, um, yeah, that, so I did, I definitely felt pressure from, like, fam not family, my family will maybe come on to it because, like, they're amazing from a support perspective, um, but they're like the least commercial people I know. Mm. Um, so, I what I did was probably quite scary for them, knowing that they couldn't necessarily support or like get involved too much. Um, but they were always like, "Just do whatever makes you happy," like, which is like absolute dream. I'm so grateful for that. Um, but f- a lot of friends, obviously, a lot, like basically all my friends went to university weirdly i think it, the timing was quite nice because as they went off to university i sort of like had this penny drop moment of realization where I was like fuck i better sort my life out and i had three years to do that that was like yeah. my time had just started as soon as they left i had like a lot of my friends moved out from the area so i wasn't like as distracted from a social perspective mm. and i was like right well, i just need to double down and work seven days a week for those three years and hopefully i'll be at least on par with them when they leave and that's genuinely what i felt um
0: and then obviously I feel like, yeah, uni has its benefits, but it's not for everyone. Yeah, for sure. You get get a real life education building a fucking bike business. So yeah. You lived at home the whole time? Uh, a
1: chunk of the time,
0: yeah. So not completely, but most of the
1: time, yeah. um, which was strange. I also, say, for a big part of it, I um, was sharing a room with my younger brother, who's like my little, my best friend. He was like... Maybe the, it was him that came to the party. Maybe. No, I don't, no, know, I don't I think I so. I say so that. I look like you. Um yeah so yeah that obviously helps from a de-risk perspective because you know like at the end of the day you've got like bills to pay and then paying yourself obviously was not lower down the priority list but um i like i've increasingly learned how important it is to do that because there were stages of the cycling business when it was really tough um from a cash flow perspective and i would like maybe not pay myself or pay myself like really scattered, like in like every three months, like Mm. a bonus essentially rather than a consistent income. And I realized that that created loads of resentment from like the work that I'd put in. I'd feel like it's not worth it, Um, which is just another random perspective.
0: Yeah, interesting. And then how long was the crossover? From spin brands and like, we were, were you involved in the bike business up until two years ago? No, yeah. Or was, so was, uh, did that hand off, and then it was a, there was, was about, the probably like
1: a year or two at the very beginning um, where I was I was doing both yeah. essentially, and it was like quite intense. I'd just broken up with my girlfriend at the time, Tell like when I started it. spin brands, um, and to be honest, it was probably like the best thing that could have ever happened to me in the nicest way possible. Um, it was very amicable, but I. I just had like full seven days a week focus on business Mm. um, which may not have been the healthiest thing but I definitely feel like it allowed me to get Uh, how old were you then when you broke up Nine, uh, when I was 22 something like that that's when I started spin so yeah yeah, about 22 I actually (laughs) I think she was starting to get excited that I was moving away from the cycle business because it was so like laborious and Mm. like um, all encompassing and probably Less neglected sexy. neglected the relationship yeah less sexy and then um we went on holiday and i was like spent the whole time on the holiday speaking to alex about like logos mm. for spin and um whatever you do when you first start a business like um and she was like
0: oh fuck i lost him again but yeah. yeah it's funny you say that because yeah i have i went to barbados last like december 2020 and it was like sadly it was the most expensive holiday i've ever been on <laughs> But the shittest holiday I've ever been on, because I was so stressed about all the shit that was happening with yeah. Neil at the time. So I spent the entire fucking time, like, literally, just in the hotel room, on my laptop. And she was like, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah, Which happens. Is, it's, yeah, it's not great. It's, it's like, a, we would have been better off just going to Cornwall for three days and me switching off my laptop. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yeah, legit. Tell me about it. With a lot of things, for sure. Yeah. But starting the agency, then... Um, i feel like you know social media agencies and stuff now is ten a penny yeah as you know um and i've had a few on this podcast actually and I'm kind of taking the piss out of the fact it's ten a penny <laughs> yeah you obviously started that well in my mind before it became this it's almost like a meme now yeah like you literally. don't have an smma yeah like, w- w- what are you doing online it, it, it's like Ty lopez is pushing it and shit it's it, become like yeah it was when gary V was like the only person shouting about it yeah yeah exactly so <laughs> How was that? Start? like Do you think that was there much competition in the same way? I mean, obviously, not in the same way, but like, obviously, it sounds like it was a pretty natural progression rather than a, yeah, we should do this, so let's learn how to do it. It was just you doing stuff that you were kind of involved in anyway, and then why well, it yeah. just made sense to. Yeah, pivot. it was so organic. Um, we literally just rolled
1: into it. I think we had a little look at the market and we were like, we felt like there was big smokes and mirrors agencies at one end and then there was like the flaky freelancers at the other end and like there was this big hole in the middle for like nicely organised, relatively lean, agile, young agency. Mm. Um, and we hired a couple of marketing agencies as, the, as an experiment for our like bike brands at the time, where we were basically just like learning a lot from their decks and proposals. Um and then we bought an online course. Founder was it? Founder Mag? Do you remember? Oh founder yeah, yeah. Mag? I've actually met the founder of Founder. Oh, really? Nathan Chan. Nathan it's Chan. Nathan yeah. Chan. Oh, that voice. <laughs> yeah, because funny. I got really
0: pissed with him. Oh, this is so funny. Sorry. Like, he's like five foot four or something. Really? And he's like heavily Australian. I think he's like from Adelaide. He's like, yeah. Hey, Eddie, what's going on? Some shit like that. It's a really bad impression. Oh uh, yeah, I literally. Can I met still him and that Greta Van Reel. Oh yeah. She like a yeah. load of brands. Yeah, yeah. at some was then in Barcelona. These eco events are always just massive piss-ups. Yeah. But that's how you get to know people. Anyway, yeah. And, and there was, I remember him telling me, because I had a Rolex watch on, which I think I, I think I just bought, thinking I was like Mr. Big. And he said, y- you have to get a Roly, as in a Rolls Royce, before you get a Rolex. It was some weird thing. He was like, Rolex, man. I was like, okay. I just remember it distinctly, but sorry no that's
1: random but yeah I literally remember paying like 200 quid for this like Instagram growth course and that we thought we were the dog's bollocks yeah uh, and yeah like you said like genuinely it was like um, an easy win for us I feel like we must be like one of like there's a us and I think Born Social were going like mm. they're probably the other independent social agency but they're and now they're like there's, they're everywhere right but I feel yeah. like we definitely got a head start which was nice and then we got some like bigger brands under our belt and then, yeah, I feel like the rest is kind of history with relatively clean sailing, but we've obviously got to keep up our game because there's a lot of young, hungry entrepreneurs coming through. Yeah,
0: and is that, was it primarily organic back then? Or was it like paid social or both? Yeah. So now it's probably mostly paid, right? Yeah, literally. I, I can remember like the phasing
1: approach, like so specifically, it was like creating, a uh, creating social media accounts for people, which obviously is like super easy, but that was like a big thing for brands. They were like, just mm. create one. And then they'd be like, cool, what do we do with it? We're like, okay, cool, we'll post on it for you. So when we like post organic content and they were like, um, this is great and we're going we're getting loads of followers and stuff, but like there's no ROI here and we are like, Alright, cool. And then we integrated paid social. So like within that was probably like within the first year though. So it was quite like a staggered three, six, twelve month process. Mm. Um and then since then paid social and organic social has been pretty much fifty percent of our revenue like there's been stages where it's, like, skewed, but it's relatively consistent. Yeah,
0: and you're 100% focused on social. Yeah, pure play social. Because, yeah, I have a mate that as an agency. He was actually on the pod, and they're like, oh, we're trying to do everything. And I was like, "Yeah, does that make sense? Like, mm. was there ever, like, do you ever think about doing that? For example, Google, TikTok, yeah. or YouTube influencers? Could be fucking everything, couldn't it? But
1: Yeah, well, interestingly, like, um, that was, like, something that I think, I don't know where we got it from maybe an advisor or maybe actually just through like the very early stages of basically being a young person dealing with online marketing you just get thrown everything and yeah. because we were building a business we we're very conscious of like cash and basically being paid to do stuff. So mm. someone would be like, Can you build a website? And we be like, Yeah sure, it's something like Shopify. No worries. Yeah. And then you'd do like say you can do SEO and you know it doesn't really work out. Whatever. So I think we learned very quickly like to just focus on be a specialist. Um but obviously, it's quite hard initially when people are offering you money to do stuff, and you're you're trying to grow a business and pay a wage. Yeah. Um, but even now, like under the social banner, it's massive, isn't it? Hmm. So like, we basically have five core areas that we specialise in. It's like organic social, so classic feed population, content curation, creation, community growth, um, paid social, where we basically it's all customer acquisition. We manage about a million pounds of media spend a month on behalf of our clients. uh, creative is probably like the biggest part of our business well the big the fastest growing part of our business now yeah um as you can imagine Mm. um which is very social first we have like 10 person design studio like illustrators 3d designers we hired a tiktok influencer last year youtuber stuff Mm. like that to be be a bit more raw and then like we do obviously influence manage management where we have like a roster as well as like custom stuff and then we
0: do consultancy but all under the social banner. So we wouldn't, yeah. like, go too far from that. Yeah. And how did it look in the early days, I imagine, very different to now with an office and 40 employees? <laughs> like, what was the first year? Like, yeah. team-wise, set-up-wise? Like, and how were you even getting clients? Was that, like, an outreach strategy? Was it literally just winging the fuck out of it? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good question. Because there's obviously courses for all this shit now, yeah. Like SMMA. Like, yeah. But so I imagine it was different.
1: We, um... We inherited Alex's storage unit, basically. It was, a, it was a nice storage unit in Putney. It was like a little studio office, essentially, he used to store his bikes at the time. Um, so when we merged the businesses, I took on his storage and we basically moved into his studio, um, which was very small. Like, I mean, like, literally half the size of this room. Mm. Um, and just us two at the time with a load of bike boxes around us. Um And then we worked out of like the hospital club and random like, you know, like co-work spaces in in the city. Um, That's where we would like do our client facing stuff. It felt a bit more legit. Um, And then we ended up hiring Alex's uh, now wife, um, but at the time girlfriend, Mm. who worked for Essence, one of the the agency that Alex worked at as well, um, but in HR. And we were like, Obviously, she. I think she was unhappy at the time. She wanted to um basically move on from there, and we ended up hiring her as an, our first account manager. It just made sense. It was like the right solution. We were getting a bit burnt out working, like doing all the biz dev and stuff at the same time as doing all of the work, executing it. So she was our first hire, um and then we obviously, without really realizing at the time, HR was like a very crucial component in, in building a people-based business, but. Most people would never think of, like, hiring HR as their first person. Um, And then from an outreach perspective, um, we were Crowdcube investors, serial Crowdcube investors, where um, we would um, basically, like, message everyone, ask for their um, pitch deck. It was a time where, like, basically, if you want to get to a decision maker when they're raising is like the time when they're most on their emails and everything yeah so we Very um true. would basically sign in show interest in their investment and then request like um i think you could email them at the time and they'd send you like the, the numbers their financials and then it's like five minutes later the founders responded to you with their numbers and we'd be like sounds really it looks really interesting um we'll have a think about it while whilst we're on this conversation and whilst we're on this thread, like yeah, yeah. this is our agency. If if we can collaborate, that'd be great. And then like l- loads of they were just converting so quickly and like they they we'd get responses and be like, Cool, can you meet tomorrow? And we'd be like, oh fuck. i got to actually go meet someone and yeah, like yeah. sell. But um they were obviously taking on funding at the time. A lot of the funding is for like marketing investment. So I think a lot of it is like you know, people say, like, timing is so important in mm-hmm. life and business, but, like, there's a lot of, like, predictable timing. Um, and
0: when business is raised, it's obviously very predictable timing for us. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. yeah I've, I've just been down that process myself. Nice. Not, not, not on CrowdCube. Um, but, yeah, just with, like, angels and shit. And it's a fucking, like, well, it feels like a full-time job in itself because I'd never done that before. Like, even just putting a pitch deck together, I just... I mean, instinctively, like, just not corporate at all. Like, I yeah. think I literally talked about, like, I think I mentioned my fucking ex girlfriend in the pitch deck or some bullshit. Like, maybe not, but it was like, it was very personable. But I think, like, well, I guess it came across well to certain people. yeah um, But yeah, I mean, you've been doing it eight years. Uh, there's, there's six years for spin. Years. Yeah. Have, yeah. Six years for spin, basically. Yeah. What has been the hard, like, how have you grown it? Because obviously, 40 employees is a, that's a pretty fat agency. Yeah, it's. Because um, I always think of agencies as like, you get the little, especially now that you get kind of bedroom agencies. Yeah. where It's basically just one bloke yeah, tends exactly. to be a, a freelancer. Yeah. And then you get obviously, well, ones like yourself and, you know, bigger, more formal setups that might work with like bigger brands, et etc et cetera.
1: Yeah. Um, have we grown it? Fuck.
0: Um, I suppose we were always just like quite hungry
1: we always wanted more than we had um, greedy is probably another word for it mm. um, when you win certain clients they give you access to other clients um, it's quite funny when we first started off we were like um, we never wanted to like be a sellout we really wanted to be like we were working with the challenger brands and helping the startups yeah. and small businesses and look, that's like we still like have um, a space in our heart for them but commercially obviously as you grow business size gets bigger and revenue accordingly gets bigger as well so we've basically been climbing up the totem pole we started with like friends and family referrals like um we ran our own ads at one point which was quite good um we were quite heavy on like basically social growth initially when it was, there was a heyday, we were building our own social accounts, reaching out to lots of people, like, proactively just in DMs. Yeah. Then obviously winning pretty some... pretty sure
0: you sent me a DM.
1: Maybe, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I definitely replied, good. but I don't know. Part of the strategy. Um... So yeah, I guess just being very proactive. Um, Crowdcube was obviously a big part of that. And then we obviously would win a couple of big accounts and then chat about those big accounts. And then those big accounts would attract other big accounts. Mm. I think relationships is like the heart of it all. It sounds pretty cliche, but like we were really keen on like making long-term relationships with a lot of our clients. Still very good friends with a lot of our clients from the early days. And they would still refer businesses that they talk to. Um, Especially when you get on like the Crowdcube circuit. I think you get kind of get known as being an agency affiliated we are actually affiliated now but yeah. well, we weren't officially, fully, officially yeah. yeah not after they listen to this but mm. um, we right. um, yeah and that kind of just like took came sort of like one thing to the next um, just went further and further and then basically I suppose we're a very simple business at the end of the day it's like re- people and revenue and clients like that's kind of it like it's relatively black and white and we have revenue per head and we had lofty well what we thought was lofty goals of revenue per head mm-hmm. that we then realized that we could stretch and as you continue to go go f- build the business for longer obviously the um retainers end up increasing and then when they increase they obviously you know the revenue per head increases um so now it's quite like simple business and we just like we've quite h- hard on new business development and referrals and partnerships um it's a big part of my role is just speaking to people all the time um, and making relationships that create referrals. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's kind of like, it feels like honestly a blur over the last six years. I couldn't even like break it down. It's quite yeah. hard to think.
0: When I think about back about life, sometimes it's like you just lay there What's in bed thinking happened? like, what the fuck? Yeah. Because it feels so slow sometimes day to day. And yeah. Like even just over a month, like it's February now. Yeah. It's 2022. no, no. Uh, I get so deep about it. It's happens. crazy. It's yeah. Crazy.
1: It is weird, isn't it?
0: Right, so... Agency relationships and stuff. Because I've worked with, like, seven... I think seven, like, fucking social media paid ads agencies over the years, which is probably not, not a good sign. Or a reflection on me or them. Maybe more me, because I'm just, a, just very picky or whatever, but... No comment. Yeah. Like, how do you find there is a lot of churn or not? And, like, and, and if there is or not like how do you prevent that because i've got mates that have got agencies and yeah i mean obviously it's a very simple business but where it differs i guess to so like e is that the amount of customers you have is way less but obviously each one pays way more and mm. but how do you manage that especially when you've got a team of like 40 people is it i mean i guess it's that builds built up over time of course yeah but um how do you make sure one Not of my everyone cancels the next month.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I suppose, like, obviously, logistically, if we have, like, contracts to, like, mitigate risk. Yeah. Um, more informally, I think... Well, and, and formally. Like, the biggest thing is aligning expectations with reality, right? Like, I always say, like, the closer reality is to expectations, the happier an individual will be, mm. regardless of whether it's personal or business. And that's kind of my job, I guess, to really align expectations. Um, and it's much... I mean, look, paid social is always going to have a relevant, like, be relevantly, be, be relatively turbulent, yeah. um, because you are at the mercy of a platform a mm. lot of the time. Uh, we obviously want to take control of as many of the variables that we have. Um, so obviously, creative is one of them that we're obviously pushing to bring in house as much as possible um, to like increase the agility overall, um, being objective as possible. Like, I think the subjective bit is where it's hard because. And probably harder with organic social than paid social because um, you have an opinion on what looks good and we have an opinion on what looks good. And the only thing really separating that is like our experience and the other clients that we have on our roster to like back up that our opinion is maybe slightly more, uh, slightly stronger than yours. But yeah, there are so many variables. It is hard. I I would say like um, we definitely when we started the business, had a a churn issue. Like it was lots of businesses that were small businesses, very emotional, like founder-led businesses, Mm. admittedly, um, and quite knee-jerk. But we equally weren't nowhere near as assertive as we could have been. And we were probably quite malleable because we were like young people in business at the time. I think that's, I think we got a lot tougher at that now. And we're a lot more like assertive and authoritative over our opinion and why we believe something's good. And, to be as data-driven with that as possible um, because otherwise, like, what is our differentiator between like anyone else, essentially? Mm. I'm not sure if that answered
0: the question, but- Yeah, no, it does. I mean, h- how do you charge then typically? Because like, again, I- I've had people, you know, agencies where they're like, it's all retainer and then it's like, well, why is it all retainer if it's a performance-based thing? Yeah, And then uh, th- the other way around where it's like entirely performance, but X, X Y, Z, you know? what works best do you think and has that changed since you got bigger um <laughs> the only thing that's really changed is how much we charge and
1: yeah like we started a hundred pound a month and now we charge you know like upwards you know like several thousand pounds a month um we have we 100% have minimum management fees to mitigate exposure and risk on our side that essentially just equals time allocation to the account per month like as much as it's nice to like package things up glamorously um we're a simple business and it's people powered and people are as the main commodity of time so um we have minimum management fees the best thing that really works from my experience is having like a mutual incentive and that upside is just super aligned we get really clear on things like attribution or what measure of success is for you and then there's like either bonuses that are released or there's a potential for us to basically hit an upside somewhere along the ro- somewhere along mm-hmm. the road um but we ha- we have a very a classic um management fee structure which is like fixed levels up to a certain media spend and then we go into percentage of media spend and then that's normally capped at a certain media spend because like you know spending 100k and 200k there are variables but you know they don't jump up yeah. twice um, i think at the end of the day when we create agreements is it's just like business it's business is business it needs to work for us it needs to work for you um we try to be as commercial as possible occasionally um yeah we have to have like minimums to cover our overheads but above on those above those minimums let's just have like a adult conversation around like what works for you commercially what metrics you need to hit to you know like be successful quote unquote whatever that is and Um, yeah, we're really keen to be, like, a little bit more creative and entrepreneurial when it comes to, like, performance-based stuff.
0: Yeah. And then, come on to the team, because that's something I've fucking struggled with hiring. And, uh, and, like, my (laughs) mate, he was episode 23. He runs Soul with us. They're actually an investor in my new thing as well. Nice. Um, He was always telling me, you're so fucking shit at hiring, which is probably why I've had issues in the past, trying to do so much myself. Obviously, 40 people is a pretty big business. And, of course, it's grown to that point. But, like where did you start with hiring and and how has that changed over time and like I guess how has it scaled is it just been like ultimately figuring out over time because obviously it's been quite a long time yeah I suppose like (laughs) what are the biggest challenges I guess within that yeah, I wish I had like a questions.
1: silver bullet answer, but mm. the reality is uh, a huge amount of it is trial and error. Yeah. Um, I think you get very good at interviewing people when you've interviewed like thousands of people. Um programs yeah, <laughs> are shit and I've said 25. <laughs> um, so I think you just get better. I think we had, um, we've gone through like points where we um, probably had an issue where we were hiring very similar people to us, mm. which aren't necessarily the best employees um because both myself and Alex were like came from a business background and like relatively entrepreneurial we would always look for people like that and that would really excite us and we'd get on really well but then they'd be very ambitious and normally leave after a bit to do their own thing yeah which to be honest I'm also happy about like that for me is like a fulfilled purpose on the journey that we are on is like
0: Yo fellas Quick one You may or may not have noticed There's been a bit of merch So to speak In recent episodes We've got two different things We've got some of the Retro style OG neon beach posters That are designed Like four years ago You may have seen On my Instagram And then we've got Some of the Best selling OG viral style Neon signs That basically did start That entire craze About two years ago now So yeah If you want to add something To your home office Your living room Just anywhere sick Basically that you want to add That extra thing to And support the channel Then you can check that out Link is in the bio Midnight.co Forward slash shop and yeah just an aesthetic item to complement the process i suppose cheers for watching and enjoy the rest of the pod
1: creating people to be better at what they were you know before they came in so mm. i think that's a big part of it um our, we've like diversified our like recruitment team now so like from interview processes we have like qualification calls as you can imagine like we get inundated with like um people that want to work in social media straight out of uni yeah it's like the e. I i would say like it's just such a bulk hoover up for anyone fresh out of uni now mm. um, which is a good and bad thing we obviously get like um huge amount of quantity and then we just need to filter through the quality so i think we got quite good at that we do like phone call qualifications initially with our hr manager and then we'll do like a couple of interviews with different people in the team um i think we've overall just got a lot better at what we're looking for and yeah. we do actually have like a report card now so we're quite objective we have like um essentially different areas that we look for in an individual like you know how like data driven they are or creative they are and there's not a right or wrong but it just helps us understand like where they would go in the business yeah um and without like um you know oversimplifying like our business it, it is quite simple we have like tiers of account managers that have T- need to have a base level of like executional knowledge and then you have senior account managers who are more experienced and a lot of that is just comes through we've we used to hire like the attitude train the skill a lot i think we've we still like that approach but because of the growth that we're growing you can't like <laughs> just hire the attitude because you're gonna end up with like a very like flat level of seniority yeah,
0: yeah. um now it's like we'll poach basically good people yeah i was gonna say where did the bulk of these people come from because when i was trying to get better at hiring i decided using like linkedin ads yeah but then i found it was like christ you get 500 applications overnight for anything like yeah. social media because it's just such a popular area yeah so do you use like agencies recruitment agencies or what if
1: we've literally only just started using recruitment agencies yeah. we've like really we really didn't
0: want to use them for such
1: a long time because it just like makes me feel sick like having them to pay like six grand or whatever placement and i'm like and i know that i'd rather give that money to the employee directly to be honest like Mm. um but we kind of we definitely feel like it's it's just like there's so much um so many people out there looking for work in this space um we do we we have like two approaches i suppose one's like the hoover up and normally for like entry-level roles which is like junior account managers Uh, junior designers and a lot of that does come through linkedin like we use something called workable now which just like splats out everywhere you can do video qualifications so like trying to qualify as much as possible early on as possible Mm -hmm. um and then we headhunt a bit like i just try to have as many conversations with people as possible yeah at the end of the day (laughs) this has happened like in a nice way not negative way but we're speaking to marketing directors a lot of the time. There's always this big conversation about in-house or agency, like brand I side or agency yeah, side. I have
0: thought that myself so many times.
1: So we sometimes, I mean like, we've got one of our like top senior account managers, what did work for one of our clients ages ago. They didn't work directly for them and then we, we took them on. But, so there was a gap in between where mm. they went somewhere else and then we took them on. Um, so that kind of stuff, I, I suppose just trying to think ahead, like be smart we speak to so many people like on a day-to-day basis I think yeah. you, you attract the right talent as well
0: is that like a big part of your day-to-day would you just say like speaking to people <laughs> like whether it's current team or like new hires or or is it a bit I guess it's a big blend obviously like sales and everything as well but
1: yeah definitely I mean we've got quite good at like splitting things out and like roles now into departments like my business partners like um, more like process um, people focus Mm. so he does lots of like you know the um, systems and processes internally and then we've got performance director we've got creative director we've got HR we've got sales you know we've got those periphery sort of like team members and I personally do yes speak to a lot of people I will have like strategic conversations with people I feel like could be a good fit not now but in like uh, maybe the next year or so I'll, I'll take people for like a coffee or go for a coffee just to like you know, catch up because there's two like approaches. There's obviously they probably work somewhere like us being on their radars obviously going to be a good thing for business development. Um, and then also like just to create the relationship is nice. I'm very conscious of like my time and the value of it and how I don't have a huge amount of it. Um, so I try to like qualify out a lot of people I speak to first. Mm. Sometimes there'll be like internal stuff. We have like pods basically. So like a lot of our time is spent like liaising with pod, the pod leaders. Therefore the managers. Um, but for me specifically, I'm like more outfacing on the business.
0: And I'm speaking to basically like
1: yeah, prospective businesses um yeah. and yeah, people in the space that could be interesting to collaborate.
0: Yeah, because one thing, I don't know if you've ever found this, but obviously I'm a bit younger than you, but I've never got close to fucking forty actual employers. I, I had like a team in the Philippines at one point, but it's very <laughs> scrappy. It was like agency here, there and everywhere. Um, and then I had like three pay proper employees at one point, and then nice. yeah, that didn't end very well uh, in hindsight. But um, my problem was always, I just got major imposter syndrome, like trying to hire anyone, particularly people that were older than me, because yeah. two of them were older than me. I mean, I, I don't know if you've, I suppose you've ever had that, and if so, like, because ha- it's something I, I need to get over because I'm trying to build a big business, and like, I'm very conscious of the fact that. I find myself definitely just like stuck working like in the business a lot of the time rather than fucking on it and like trying to like remove myself and create like more of a leveraged approach. Yeah. Um, But hiring's a part of that. uh, Yeah,
1: it's interesting. I would say like my, uh, probably like an advantage that I got was when I had the cycle business. I inherited a team of like five or six people. Um, They were like 57, 30, 35, Sixty, oh, wow. yeah. you know like 17 18 and then like 24 and i was 19 you know so it was like this real like yeah, mix no. of people i think that was the hardest thing yeah. i actually probably take for granted but like going through that process of trying to manage those people and get an output out of them without being like it overly hierarchical mm. and me just sitting on my high horse asking to do stuff so i basically created a very flat structure it was proper teamwork and i was quite transparent around like revenue and like we're all in it together and we'll all learn when you know collectively. Yeah. Um so I was quite I, I suppose I was quite like I didn't really have anything to hide because they knew my position. So I got over that imposter syndrome a little bit. I was like quite vulnerable and like this is the situation. Let's make the best out of a bad, tough situation. Um and then hiring within spin I definitely had imposter syndrome at the beginning, especially when we were hiring people from who had like on paper been doing marketing for a lot longer than me um or had gone to university even like and done a marketing degree and I was like you know like, literally very far from that um but I guess you just like I, I've always like really been very self-critical and like really tried to work on being open with weaknesses and strengths mm-hmm. and I've always known that maybe it's a slightly um um like egotistical thing where like I've just always felt like I'm they may be smarter than me, but they'll never outwork me. Yeah. And this is a quote that I remember, like, listening to ages ago. It's probably on, like, a Gary Vee podcast when I was yeah, yeah, 17 yeah. or something. But that was, like, a big quote that got me through or motivated me a lot when a lot of my friends went to university and I came back and, like, worked. So I think that was a good way of getting past it. I was like, I, they can be on paper smarter than me. They'll be better than me than this.
0: But I will work 23 hours a day if it kills me, you know, like... Yeah. <laughs> and And... With the team now, obviously, having gone through COVID, did, was that, like, how was that? I mean, obviously, everyone was working from home. Did, did you keep the office? Uh, we were really fortunate. so we how actually had, work? Yeah. So, we had an office in Putney at the
1: time, and we'd just handed our notice, in. we were going to move to Waterloo anyway. Hmm. And um, we were <laughs> weirdly about to sign on this office, literally, like, February, I think it was. So, like, just before, like, things started falling apart. And they had some issues like internally. So we were always gonna have to remote work for like two weeks. And mm. we had told the team we were like, Oh, there's a bit of a hold up on the office. Don't worry, bear with us. Um so we had left our uh, we were yeah, basically hand our notes in, we weren't paying rental rates, and we were remote working and then this office like actually fell through. And also, um then the pandemic obviously hit and everyone was forced to work remotely anyway so it was like a huge blessing in disguise like we basically had like a, a decent stint i can't remember how long it was Co- complete like six seven eight months maybe where we weren't paying rental rates which is like yeah. a third of our overheads mm. um so yeah that was it really and then we and then we ended up like moving around we had a client at the time who um just signed a 10-year lease in oxford Fucking circus it's a long 10, like 10 I care think months i know and um they were like a luxury events agency and were like a bit you know just bad timing with the pandemic yeah. obviously no events mm-hmm. and then we ended up moving in their office for a bit because we we've got like a very young team everyone's between like 20 and 35 tops yeah um even 18 to 35 sorry um and we knew that the office was always going to be an important part of that process because like you know when you're like 20 and you're like in a house share with shit internet with four mm. other people, it's just not like an enjoyable work environment, yeah. let alone a productive one. Um, and a big part of agency creativity comes from the energy and like being together in the room. So mm. I'm quite like bullish on like the office, and I knew we were always gonna have one. And we yeah ended up just sort of like moving around. We had a co work space for a bit, like while we were like mitigating exposure, just trying to get yeah. land. And then we signed where we are currently on, on a. Um, basically we were, uh, signed for the year and then we did a we basically offered
0: them 50% of asking price and they accepted it and we were like winner should have yeah. gone lower fuck yeah because the whole office thing I was mentioning before like I've had an office in the past with literally me and like one mate um, very premature at the time and then obviously there's like great benefit of not having an office I guess you know flexible or whatever but especially now like ultimately post pandemic world I fucking hope um, now I'm like so sick of working from home Mm. and I think yeah I think a co-work or something in a co-work is probably like the sensible middle ground yeah but as I've I've definitely started to like appreciate the just fucking being around people yeah. a lot more I don't know but like as I've got older I suppose I think I used to think like kind of yeah like I don't have to go to an office don't have to commute you know yeah. all this I think so I th- it is interesting to say that because yeah literally I've just started getting caba fever in like the past month Interesting.
1: Yeah, I I mean I can imagine it's like been accelerated over the last two years of the pandemic, right? I, I definitely had times where I was like loved working from home. I was like, fuck, I'm so productive. I'm working ten hours a day, forgetting to eat lunch and mm. I'm getting a lot done. Um and it may be like going for like a run or whatever either either side, then I felt quite healthy and like cooking dinner, you know, was a like a revelation for me because I would yeah, always yeah. just eat out because I just ran out of time. And um I, yeah, like genuinely love the office so much. I, I say the issue is, is like finding that balance between productivity and having your own space. And for me specifically, I get quite distracted um, but I like tapping into it. And I, right now is the perfect balance where I'm in like three or four days a week. And I've got maybe one day to catch up on admin at home or loads of calls, or I'm in the office. And fortunately I've got a private office within our office where I can like just be on calls all day, which is like my own essentially a glorified phone booth um but that's the only issue with co-working spaces when there's just a lot of people we've struggled a little bit we've always gone private office because Mm. it's we're on calls a lot of time to be honest and it's quite hard to like find space that isn't a claustrophobic phone booth
0: yeah yeah i definitely feel that and how do you think going forward is it it gonna be full office or because i know outside the working world's kind of changed everyone's saying and like a lot of people speak to that like including my brother who's got like a I guess more normal job and stuff it's like flexible working all this because there's obviously pros and cons people seem to want to be able to choose yeah when they're feeling lazy stay at home
1: yeah yeah exactly the classic Monday Friday thing yeah um I think there's a I think there's a good balance I think flexi is the future basically like we'll always aim for a private office for as long as possible as long as we can afford it you know like it's things are changing but um I think most people come in, I would say like we have a 50% rolling capacity in our office each day. So yeah. it's, not, it's not 100% at all. Um, but most people come in like three or four times a week. Um, and that, I think that's perfect blend. Yeah. Um, I think it's the future.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think I need to get out of the flat like three days a week. Yeah. Just start to go fucking mad. It might
1: be different as well for you because like you're in control of, you're, you know, it's not like a, you're, you're an employee and you're commuting to a job that you don't necessarily like and you have to commute yeah. at, at
0: nine in the morning with every other salmon swimming up river. Yeah, very true. I mean, I definitely started to think now, I'm always talking because I've got mates that have like genuinely really big businesses. Like one in particular I can think of, he was on the pod in like episode seven and he literally works from home and doesn't believe in like the office. Like it does, I don't think he has a single like UK based employee. But then obviously you get like, other businesses where you know they have a team of hundred people, and a great office culture, all this. I'm almost torn between what I feel like I'd rather have, like the big office and like the whole setup, because then it's I don't know, it's it's as much about the kind of lifestyle and the experience of it, yeah, and the enjoyment of it, I think, as it is about like is it you know cost efficient, yeah, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I think
1: there's two things for me like a the office creates a huge amount of energy for us like I walk in and I'm pumped every day like it's mm. it's you know it's a tangible thing it's not yeah. like looking at a spreadsheet and seeing how much money you're earning it's like you walk into an office with a bunch of people who are you know like buzzing around doing lots of things having yeah, client yeah. conversations that's so that's so exciting um, I would say like building a good culture is very hard and I feel like we've done a good job um, and it's, it's like a number one priority for us to continue that but I think we've probably got a competitive advantage because we're all a similar sort of age and therefore relatively like-minded. I think when it starts going quite broad, it might get a bit more confusing. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely.
0: But yeah. <laughs> On the creative side of things then, because that's something I've struggled with in the past. I feel like obviously you get SMMA that generally, or agencies that generally offer like paid ads. Yeah, You mentioned creative is a big part now. Yeah. When did that come in and how does that work? Because like, I feel like media buying and I've spent loads of money on Facebook ads and Google ads and et cetera, et cetera in the past. But like creative feels like it's a bigger variable than ever, <laughs> yeah. especially since the iOS 14, all this. Yeah. And most people just skimp on it, it feels.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I would say like... And there's we, a
0: lot of agencies that are doing just creative. I've seen like creative specific ones.
1: Yeah, exactly. I guess, um, yeah, we do. I mean, basically as... Like Facebook, and when I talk about Facebook, I basically mean like all social media advertising platforms, like yeah. across TikTok and everything. As they've become more competitive, like they've got such a low barrier to entry, um and are, are, are always like much more black box orientated, where the levers that you have to control are actually l- limited to a certain extent. Creative is one of those massive levers that you have yeah. freedom over, so we always saw it as an opportunity. We always had designers from early on, but not really like. Ads designers, and then iOS kicked in, and we were like, we lost probably like twenty percent of our ad revenue, like in two weeks or, or like two months. Probably it was um it was like a very like sort of an epitome moment where we were like, fuck, we really need to like ref- refresh and change things up here obviously creative was that glaring thing like looking at us in the face and we saw there was loads of creative agencies that do like um, creative very well and there's lots of very data-driven agencies that do like, you know, analytics and data very well and then we we felt like there was this increasingly bigger opportunity and like merging them together and having like data under one roof so we can and like have maximum agility with creative and what's working and what isn't and then like not just creating like digital assets then we hired like this tiktok influence last year who is like physically unboxing talking to the camera one hour the ads are live the next hour we're getting like data fed in like the hour after that you know it's Mm. such a fast feedback loop which obviously gives us a competitive advantage
0: to like outperform other people yeah and are you making that shit in house yeah everything (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) no that's good because yeah yeah like i'm trying to find maybe you can do my creative stuff for this new brand because literally I'm trying to plan cause I'm at that annoying stage where right now everything's ready to go well I mean products on the way and it's just like but until I have product like finished I can't really do much because you know like I've just got like mock-ups on the website the website's not even live but the website's yeah. ready to go and there's so much creative stuff I want to do like using apps like Billow have you seen Billow when it's yeah. like UGC and all that shit but until yeah. I have a product It's just frustrating. So I'm twiddling my thumbs at the minute. But the second I have product, I think, yeah, it's such a massive thing. I think I've slept on it in the past yeah it's I think, easier for certain products but
1: exactly and like definitely products is the hard part uh, is, is the easy part of a hard situation right like the more complicated that product is I think we found because we've got a young team if we've got a product that maybe is more suitable for like an older demographic that puts us in a bit of like we're like well do we still do this or do we get like a modelling mm. to do it and then there are definitely complications but nothing that we can't deal with you know and and as we grow and as the demand increases we'll just adapt accordingly I think
0: yeah and where do you see the agency going over like, have you got a plan for it? Because obviously you've, I mean, you probably have got a plan, but like, is there a specific level you're trying to get it to in terms of revenue? You're looking for an exit? Like, because I've spoken to people and this, some people say like, agency's not an exitable model. And yeah. then you read about cases where actually that's not the case at all. And it is. Um, or are you just enjoying growing things? and Definitely a mixture. Life?
1: Like, I think we've gone through like,
0: um, this slightly like bipolar
1: period where you know you go, you really like are fed up sometimes, and then other times you're very, you're absolutely loving it, like you get the biggest buzz from it in the world. Um, we've had conversations around like acquisitions or mergers with other agencies. Sometimes it's we got approached actually in the year of the pandemic quite a lot yeah. because we're an independent specialist agency, we're very bolt on a ball to a larger agency. Especially like a PR agency, which is maybe like fuck, like, we're a bit behind the times and socials taking over, yeah, yeah. or an old school marketing agency that's trying to digitalize. We had some interesting conversations. I think we're always we, we're curious people. I don't think it's high up on our radar at all at the moment. I think it has been higher, and it's also been lower. Um, look, I'm always always open to the conversation. I think we have a mm. valuation in mind at the moment, which is feels about right. It's like hungry enough, but not like or you know completely ridiculous um but at the same time like i think we always know it's there and as long as we stay at the front of our industry i.e., an independent specialist agency and constantly innovate and do a good job we're not only having a load of fun we're also making a a chunk of cash doing it not Mm. you know like and we reinvest a lot of that into like building the business but it's um it's almost like a dividend heavy business as well like yeah sometimes i think one of the offers that we looked at we were like that's a good you know it feels quite good but actually like i'm still young i've got the rest of my life ahead of me i don't really have this burning sensation to go off and do anything else yeah and actually if we five years time get an md and become chairman you know like and take money out of the business that way then you know that's actually not bad life either so i think it's always interesting to look at options um who knows, it needs to be exciting. Both of us, both myself and Alex are like super um, entrepreneurial and we want to, we need something to like fuel our fire. Yeah. Um, right now spin is enough of that. And there's a lot going on and we're in a very hot space, which is very exciting. I think the moment it becomes a little less exciting is, is obviously something, um, but that could also be self inflicted a lot of the time. We've gone through those spikes and we're definitely at, loving it at the moment. Um,
0: so yeah, kind of like vague answers to that. Like, who knows, yeah, yeah, yeah. future's bright. Do you think having like bricks and mortar and it, and it looking more real, like literally, gives it, you know, higher perceived value for a potential buyer, as opposed to like obviously agencies that well, I like, could potentially be doing as big numbers. Mm. And that's because in episode 22, which hasn't gone out yet, but it will have gone out by the time this comes out. This guy called Alex speaking about like the the strategic narrative of like businesses and shit, and I just yeah. got to start. I love the term, and I was so interested by it. It's like positioning the brand and business beyond just like the actual numbers to make it appeal to whoever in whatever capacity.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think it's a very good point. It completely depends on the buyer, right? It depends if if they're mm. a fully remote workforce, they probably don't care, or they probably see it as an opportunity to cut costs immediately yeah, yeah. and add more to your bottom line. So and in the back of my mind i'm always like that with with rent and like overheads yeah. i'm like it's always there you know we could go remote tomorrow if we wanted to mm. and make an extra X amount a month on a bottom line so it's like a nice safety blanket to always like you know we've got a long way to go before we we could you know get into a tricky waters um i think yeah there probably is perceived value to, especially if like the business is more of a traditional business and like culture is really important to them i think it's much easier to create a good culture in an office where there's a physical environment where you're speaking to people. Um, I don't know, like there's obviously that skew between like extroverted and introverted people and where they work best. And we've obviously got a mix in our team and probably, you know, the slightly more extroverted people come in to the office more, but I think it's a fairly good balance.
0: Yeah, and and you you said at the start that you are driven by money. Like, (laughs) oh, you were at least. I mean, I won't put words in your mouth, but like, I guess, firstly, like, are you? And, and secondly, how has that changed from being 19 <laughs> to 29? Because I know my perspective on money's changed a lot. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily go away, but the, the angle perhaps changes and the reasons. I think it's really interesting and it's a subject that trying I... Trying to get philosophical now. I've yeah, no, spoken it's good about it's so.
1: Yeah, boring. Um, I think it's really interesting and I think um, a lot of it comes from, like, the whole nature-nurture scenario for me personally. Um, my mum was an illustrator my dad was a photographer um, they both worked for the science museum they met at the science museum that is old school romance exactly that's how I want to meet my future wife uh, start hanging out at the science museum mate yeah Um, and um they we I well they they lived in Worcester Park like neither of them came I think my mum came from like a parents were farmers my dad's parents were like in car sales he was like car salesman or something um so like not like anything crazy but like humble beginnings and yeah. like but not like also like I'm with I'm very conscious that when I say this I'm like white male grew up in so extremely yeah, uh, yeah, extremely like privileged get yeah exactly waiting for the um but essentially, they like really over leveraged themselves to move out of um, the city and into like a nice area. And when I was young, so like the whole time the environment at home was like money conflict constantly, yeah. And like my dad had a big nervous breakdown when he was 40 or 50 or so, um, like had to take time off work for a long time. At the time, he was the only um. He was like the main breadwinner. Mm. And um, I was probably a little bit naive at that point. I was out of the house a lot. You know, I was just like a youngster, just like keeping busy at the skate park or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think that definitely had an impact on me and like what that, and the stress that it brought to our household. Mm. Um, and I think I was just always very conscious of like getting to a level of financial freedom. And I think that has loads of stages, right? Um, so I think... Um, yeah, growing up in that environment, like made me, A, just extremely conscious of money and having and not having money. You know, I, like yeah. often I wouldn't be able to go on school trips because it didn't work or for my parents. And like, um, every, I knew that like to get the things that I wanted, I would have had to like get it myself. And I think that was actually probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me. It's given me mm. the work ethic I have now and the motivation to create something, um, go out and get it yourself uh, yeah. rather than sitting back. Um, And then I started earning money and like, I was probably at that, I was like 21 or so where my income was like the same as my dad's. And I was like, that's not right. Like that feels very Mm. weird. And that I think affected like our, the family dynamics slightly. I was very conscious of like making sure that obviously everyone was in a comfortable situation. Um, My dad still has two jobs, you know, he's like 65. He he like definitely over leveraged on a mortgage. and he's like constantly stressed about money. And they and from that, I've also had a, like grown up in an environment where like we've always had, well, my family have always been relatively bitter about people that seems well off or affluent, right? Yeah. Um, and I saw that quite interestingly and have probably gone the complete other way and been really inspired pe- by people that had like an, a level of affluence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm also very conscious and maybe more self-aware or just willing to be curious in this space that like, you know it's not as glamorous as it seems from the outside in um and i've learned more about that as more conversations i've had you know i've been fortunate enough to have conversations with billionaires and like learn a lot about their lives and yeah. everything in between you know so um i think that's less of an issue for me now i think it's nice when i've got to a point where like i feel comfortable but not i think there's it's finding that balance where you you should always be pushing yourself to feel a little bit uncomfortable but also Mm. knowing that actually you've got it very well compared to a lot of your peers and just a lot of, you know, statistically. Um, So from like a broader perspective. Um, But yeah, I don't know if that sort of kind of made sense. Kind of not.
0: Yeah, no, well, because I always think about the question, like if someone gave you a billion quid tomorrow, what would you actually do? Yeah. Because a lot of people probably assume the whole world would change and maybe it would for a month. But then, like, fundamentally, it's quite a scary question because a lot of people, I mean, myself included, and I certainly haven't made anywhere near those levels, of course, but um, I probably thought when I was younger, chasing money would, like, I don't know, solve... This is, like, probably something I should to speak to about my non-existent but pending therapist. <laughs> um, I probably thought that chasing money and, like, ticking certain materialistic goals off would, like... I don't know, quieting the fucking voice in the back of my head. Yeah. <laughs> and then it doesn't. And then it's like, oh, fuck, maybe... And obviously there's levels to it, of course. Like, yeah. I, I still... I would love to make a 100 million quid or whatever. But... And I think I can if I put my mind to it. But I'm probably more aware of the fact that... I think even that, that even when that happens... I don't know. It, it, it might not scratch the itch that you think it's going to do. Because, I mean, you hear about it all the time. Like, people... Mm-hmm. I don't know, like they sell a business. Maybe it's a bit like just trying to come up with a story and obviously it's not that relatable for most people, but like, I include myself, but you know, they sell a business and they feel empty or whatever. Yeah. So I often just think like, well, if, you know, if I did have a billion quid tomorrow, work on what I should probably work on now, what I'd work on if that was yeah. a real situation I think I remember by definition you're probably doing something you'd enjoy more yeah I think that's a big part and of not it better it's, maybe
1: it's purpose isn't it like that's the main thing that we thrive for and I think I think there's a couple of things there's a like for me personally I don't know what it is and maybe this comes from what I just mentioned but like always making my parents proud you know like mm. the, really like creating something that I'm proud of but also you know I get they're happy and they're pr- proud of me too, I think is a, a big driver, motivation for me. I think getting to a sustainable, in, uh, like financial freedom level is really key and explosive is nice, but um, I think it comes with its own stresses, as you know, like too well. Like, fucking tell me about it. Um, <clears throat> I've got like a very humble uncle who now is like, I, he, you know, he's like CEO of a billion pound business, mm. has like, thousands of employees yeah. and he just lives in like such a normal life and I love that I think there's something where you go through the external validation like when you grow up and especially when you're young and maybe imposter syndrome is a big part of that I definitely had like flashy cars when I was younger and I think a big part of it was to like show success like yeah. externally because I didn't really feel like I was there Get
0: approval, and you. I actually
1: think I, I genuinely feel so much more like comfortable in myself and maybe that has come from like you know, the hours of therapy that I've had, or yeah, now having a very like humble girlfriend who would probably hate the idea of me having a flashy car. Mm. You know, I think that really helps like ground you, but you, that's just the process, I think. And some people go through it in different paths and some people don't, you know. How long have you been with your girlfriend? So I'm, not, the, I'm
0: not trying to bring this onto my ex again. It um, way too fast Yeah, a couple of years, well, coming up to two years. Oh, so not so that long no pandemic yeah because I've had a few guests on I think it was episode 24 getting good with the numbers then, and he'd been with his mm-hmm. girlfriend like 7 years and he was 24 I was like fucking hell okay I'm doing something wrong I'm living in the wrong place yeah but do you think do you think if you're a single you'd care more about like flexing and shit I've, I've, I've debate. I mean you don't strike me as someone that would do that now anyway I mean you said in the past maybe but do you know what I mean? Because I, yeah. I, I was looking back at pictures from like a year ago, and I was like, "Fuck, I look fat in that." And like, obviously, it's it's, it's not about flexing, but like, the, the point is, that I got I don't know, maybe I was so comfortable with my girlfriend that yeah. I just stopped like going to the gym as much. Yeah, like stupid shit like that. I think that's definitely a driver. Like, I would say, like, objectively,
1: the single period of my life, I was a bit of a twat, or I was like mm. at least craving that like external validation again. <laughs> Uh, it's like it is what it is it's like i um i think yeah hindsight's wonderful thing and at the time you just feel like um i think there's an element of emptiness that comes from probably not having a piece of the puzzle that you feel is really important and actually the moment i, I actually really remember it, it was like literally the year before the pandemic where i just decided to stop dating and i was going through the stage of like basically dating almost for the sake of it and like mm. i don't know what it was but i was i was definitely like trying to fill a void that was in my life yeah i've been there and i i just reflected on like i was like you know what i'm just gonna like stop dating this is really cringe again but it was like i think i read it in a book nothing's or cringe on this part
0: trust me i've said everything <laughs> good way worse
1: um it was like if you can't love yourself then no one else will love you and i was like i really need to work on myself because i really am craving that from someone else
0: fuck yeah that's so so uh, true. I was in a float tank the other week.
1: Nice, good. Loving yourself?
0: Yeah, honestly, I've I've only done like 3 of them, but it was like borderline psychedelic experience and I swear to like I remember coming out of it and putting in the group chat my one conclusion was I need to love myself more. Nice. It's kind of deep. I don't know where it came yeah. from because there was no stimulus, obviously sensory deprivation. But yeah, I don't know. I swear I could like feel myself like floating through like heaven or some shit.
1: I love that. I need to do a float tank. I've never done. No, that. I,
0: actually, I actually found it really hard the second time.
1: Is it a bit claustrophobic? It I just wasn't a in bit. a good
0: headspace the second time I did it, and then it's challenging to sit with your thoughts for, yeah. for that for an hour. And is I, there yeah. like an emergency button to get out? I mean, it's like you can open. It. Oh, okay. It's like yeah, it's okay. like a, yeah it, it is pretty claustrophobic. But I, well, I mean, it's not because the whole point is that when you shut your eyes and like, you basically forget you have a body. That's so you're like that's, that's insane. A floating head but I'm yeah I'm trying to make a conscious effort to I guess meditate and understand my thoughts more um but yeah, we're going off topic but I think I think no I think that's a really interesting point and like it, it's become like a priority for me because my literally I think well just like being fully transparent I, I had like a bit of a fucking mental breakdown last week I don't know what it was Well, I kind of know what it was mm-hmm. there was a few triggers but and then ended up in hospital, actually, because I just, it was pretty fucked. Um, ruining my personal brand here. But I literally, and it, there was like, it was definitely an element of anxiety for like a week because mm. I went out and fucking had a massive bender, which did not help. But um, I literally cried every day for like a week. Not like constantly, but I'm not a crier. I mean, mm. I'm an emotional person, but, I, you know, I wouldn't cry on like any given week. Like it takes a lot to make me cry normally. I don't know what it was. And it was like I hadn't, That's why I need a therapist. But it was like I hadn't fucking... ...acknowledged the... ...I don't know... ...like past traumas or whatever... ...like stresses of the past year. Yeah. My relationship breaking down. Definitely compounds. There was a trigger... ...about that as well and... ...yeah, it was weird. I literally felt like a different person. But I think that's... ...I mean that's not normal for me. But... ...maybe with meditation... And yeah, just like investing in rather than just trying to look better or, Mm. you know, have a bigger number on a screen or whatever it is. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I've had a bit of like a spiritual awakening in in like the past year. And it's like, fuck, like, yeah, kind of what you said. Like you have to work on yourself and love yourself first. Because I think a lot of people probably just lie to themselves. And like, if you put them in a room without any... Coffee, alcohol, social media yeah. for like a week. Could they survive? I mean, yeah. I probably couldn't. To be fair, but like, yeah, it's kind of quite profound. Yeah, I think most people think they may be content or happy or fulfilled, but actually, if you tell them they can't drink wine for the next year, yeah, are they actually fulfilled? I don't know. It's quite a steep existential. I think it's really interesting. I think uh,
1: I lucked out to be honest because my current girlfriend is a yoga teacher right
0: and she and well, i need to start going to yoga classes
1: is the best thing and also through that like we meditate every morning like i think it's the best way to start the day my life was like, sh- it, like i wasn't like completely outrageous but like it wasn't sustainable it was like you know like working long hours starting the day with like a cinnamon bun and a coffee yeah. it's just like sugar and caffeine into it and then like obviously working, eating out, you know, like going out, sleeping less. Um, and I genuinely feel like the pandemic saved me in a way because it really just forced me to slow the fuck down. Mm. And then obviously in sync with that, I met my now girlfriend who's like the most Zen person ever. And, yeah. you know, you really get that energy. I need a Zen girl going forward. I mean...
0: Do you mean at-, s- at a yoga? Um <laughs> Was it, was it was it not any yoga blade? There's
1: no there's no yoga, but it was really weird actually. I'll tell you just because it's, it's so random. But yeah. um have you heard of something called Next Door?
0: No, I haven't actually. What's it's that?
1: basically like this um website where you can like moan about your neighbours or like you know cat stuff Fucked up. Tree. Off, really, that's funny. It's like small business um like place, and you can like talk about stuff. Anyway, like mm. the, a couple of weeks before pandemic, it was getting a bit weird. So I was like, people are talking about like riots in London, and I was like, it's weird. Someone said, like, I should look at Nextdoor because that's, like, where all the chat is, basically. So I downloaded it. And then um, I came up and it, like, geo-tagged me where I lived. And I could see, like, everyone that had Nextdoor on my road. And I lived at the time um, on a road that was, like, a bit of a retirement road, Mm. you know? And I thought I'd do a really nice thing and message, like, the four people that came up as having Nextdoor accounts on my road via it and be, like, basically, we probably haven't met. I live here... If you need anything, just shout. Wait, so d- does
0: it show you anyone that's on the app that lives near you? Yeah, I think I must have like verified well, is that it like somehow? an underground dating app then? Well, Cause, cause it's like, not exactly. Round around here, it's always bloody flats.
1: <laughs> I think you're struggling in a flat because it's like a million people could live in this flat building. But yeah, yeah, definitely. And also they might not have next door. It's quite a rogue thing to have. Um... But anyway, I messaged loads of people and be like, do you need anything? If you need anything, just shout. And then a couple of nice elderly people were like, that's great, really great, but I'm all good. And then one person replied, who's my now girlfriend. And she was like, hey, I don't live here. That was really kind of you. Um, it was good to chat. I'm probably butchering this and she'll she'll like rinse me for it. But yeah, yeah. Um, l- basically, like, um, I don't live here anymore. My parents live here. I live the other side of like um, Putney. Um, But if you want to come to a Zoom yoga class, hit me up. And I was like, that sounds good. I probably need a bit of Zoom yoga. I'd like Mm. recently done like a hot yoga and like kind of got into it, but still like very amateur and went along and like just, you know, there was that energy and we met on Zoom for the first time. And then then we went for a walk and like caught up and then the rest is history.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. That's like classic because... I always say to my mates, like, I don't know, I just, I don't want to have to tell my future kids that you, you I don't know, you met your wife on Hinge. Yeah, exactly. Or something <laughs> like that. But it's it's interesting because some people, like, have a real dislike to dating apps and they're like, oh, it's not real, blah, 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 you should meet a girl in a bar. But then, like, arguably, if you meet a girl in a bar, A, you're intoxicated. <laughs> B, like, there's no filter at all. Whereas on Hinge, like, you need to set preferences, whatever. Yeah. Like, it's, like, do you know what I mean? Like, should it be seen as just the modern equivalent of meeting someone in the street but, but with actually more criteria so I, it could arguably be more organic or is it like do, is, do you know what I mean Like, or is it like horrible social media swiping whatever because mm-hmm. I see both sides and it's an interesting debate I think people probably just want and I definitely want the romantic tale of oh, I met my wife hypothetical wife yeah. in fucking art gallery yeah she dropped her hat I picked it up Yeah. Some bullshit like that. But I'm just a so hopeless romantic. Uh,
1: no, I so, so am I. And I, maybe it's a personality type, right? Some people are more romantic than others. Yeah. And I genuinely felt like I was going on these like dating apps previously, and I was sort of like not, before it even turned up, I wasn't really that like up for it. Mm. I was like, what am I doing? Like this is so yeah,
0: ridiculous. Yeah, in the past for sure. But
1: then equally, I know people that have got married to their now wives uh, who they met on dating apps and they're the, the happiest couple ever. Yeah. So I think it really depends on like your personality. I definitely felt like even you know you're never gonna find someone you like if you're going into the situation on back foot not really wanting to find them through a dating app which you have now met them through. So.
0: Yeah. 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 Fuck. Very, very true. Yeah. It's an odd one. It always comes to relationships by the way in this pod. Yeah. It's That's just, fine. I, I always like, like it. I like to speak about, like good. weird fucking shit. Um... Coming back to the agency then. Well, I'll try and come back to the agency. What has been... Well, I guess, like, broadly, kind of mixing, like, the philosophical side with business. um, What do you reckon has been the biggest personal challenge since you were, like, 19? Like, just, I guess, relevant to business, but ultimately life. Yeah. In in building something. Because, I mean... for me, it's probably been loneliness in the process.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, I'll start, like, it's like a therapy class. Yeah, loneliness for you, good. Um,
1: I think, like, as this word obviously get, well, words get thrown around loads, but like, imposter syndrome has been a big part of it because of just my upbringing, I think, and the fact that I didn't go to university and I ended up with this very like, weird, scattered, like, untraditional, like, process. I've always felt like even like hiring people that you know like are quote unquote like smarter than me on paper. I find that quite intimidating. But equally, I would say like a bit of a strength and a weakness is that I I remember like I have these like weird affirmations maybe where I like tell myself I like encourage myself to do something and I hate doing it, but I know that it's the right thing to do. Mm. And I remember like driving to the office back in the early days and saying to my or oh, I, I had a really stressful meeting like the day before and I was like sweating and like just you know like it was probably like really casual for my business partner at the time because he was like you know just used to it and I was really nervous and um, and then I remember like the next day waking up feeling a lot more chilled about going to the next meeting I was like oh it was nowhere near as intimidating as one yesterday and I was like there's a real like compounded thing when you put yourself out, your, out of your comfort zone and it only takes that five minutes to like be outside of your comfort zone and once you're like get going it kind of calms down but um pushing that like aggressively and trying to almost make myself feel sick with nerves as much as possible for like the last six years has been like the main thing that's Mm. motivated me as well as being like probably a weakness in a way yeah um yeah i th- I actually think comparing myself to other people and their intelligence so like academic intelligence has always been like mm. a big weakness for me um I'm learning to shape like shake that definitely um and as things like business become more there's more tangible success and outcome I feel like the the bike the, the bike business initially it felt like it was probably a bit of a fluke, and I didn't really like wasn't that proud of myself for the process. I just yeah. felt like a, I was in the right time, right right place, lucky opportunity, managed to like get away with it by like the seat of my pants. And now I feel like the second time now and there's
0: been a lot of, there's a bunch of in- businesses yeah, in between. Yeah, can't be a fluke sort of thing.
1: So yeah, I yeah. don't know. Again, probably a vague answer, but...
0: You keep saying that, but no, it's good. The answer is the answer. There's no, no agenda. Do you think if you, do you think you could do it without a business partner? Because just in general like I've never had a business partner and I don't know maybe I'd be a lot less stressed or whatever if I did but I guess it was never intentional it was just I'd Mm. never come across the person that made sense to do that with and maybe I'd be a terrible fucking co-founder or whatever but yeah
1: I think um, obviously I mean before we went into business together we had like loads of conversations with people saying don't do it basically it's always going to end up in a mess and I genuinely hand on heart think it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Mm. Like meeting Alex, the timing was obviously great. I think our compatibility is really good. We've definitely got like different strengths and weaknesses. Um, and maybe he's a little bit, I think he's a little bit older and like, um, you know, like he's, he had the specific experience. So I always felt like weirdly he was more of a mentor and I was his right hand man yeah like from day one and I think that really helped the dynamic I think mm. when you're too even or you're too like um maybe there, yeah there is an ego in the way of that I think that really causes difficulty um I genuinely think yes I could do it on my own it would probably be twice as boring yeah half as quick half as you know like um, or twice as stressful. I think it, you, you genuinely like share all of the, up. well, you, sh- you share the best things and you also half the, like, the, the bad things. Mm. So even from like a financial risk pers- perspective, like when you, not that we put in any money to start the business, but yeah. it was like a hundred pounds each rather than 200 pounds on from me, you know? Like those things obviously mm. increase massively as you <laughs> grow the business. Um, but yeah, I think overall definitely, it was the right thing for me it might not be for you but it also might be
0: <laughs> yeah jeez i mean yeah if 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 i if i find that person i guess this time around with this next business yeah i've got investors involved which in my mind is like co-founder cuz yeah a few of them are quite involved and it yeah it definitely a lot more experience than me which is good cuz trying to learn from my mistakes of just fucking being very childish at scale in the past i guess um alright final question well I I felt there's so many things I always find it takes about an hour until shit gets philosophical I know and then when it gets philosophical that's when I wish I got the red wine out and I could just fucking go for like five hours but I'm trying (laughs) not to drink at the minute because it's been a a lot of emotional distress in my life Um, if you could give I've started using this stereotypical question every episode now if you could give three bits of advice to your 19 year old self and I want good (laughs) answers don't fucking cough out Jesus What would they be on on reflection? I don't know if you've ever ever thought about that because someone asked me that the other day and i would never thought about it. I don't think I've ever thought about it. Um, What would I give myself? On the spot here. Yeah, it's hard. Surely it's instinctive. Yeah. To an extent.
1: Weirdly, I feel like... I want to, I want it to be good. Um, there's obviously loads, isn't there? But I would no, say, I mean, like the first one is obviously, um, try not to be conscious of, you know, like what other people think of you. I think I was always very self-conscious as a kid and yeah. gr- growing up and definitely looked for other people. So just like focus on, you know, stick in your own lane. Do do you, mm. like really work on yourself, like have fun Um I think um, it was quite interesting I had some advice I, I will come on to it I had some advice when I well some like unwarranted advice from a customer of mine at when I had the cycle business which was like you're too friendly too smiley no one will ever trust you and I really took that on board and it really bothered me and I would actually ignore that advice completely and just yeah. be like be kind kindness kill them with kindness like always
0: It mm. um, feels relevant to me Yeah, recent text exchange. (laughs) Awkward. Yeah, um, what's the third bit?
1: Um, go big or go home, you know. Like, I think I've always been quite nervous and like not that brave to do things. And it might sound weird from what I've said, but um, yeah, I don't, I've always feared failure a lot higher than probably what it looks like from the outside in, um, and. There's not really a lot that can go, well, you know, there's lots that can go wrong, but um, there's very few things that will result in like, you know, me dying, you know, or like whatever, the, yeah. you know, that, that real like bottom line. So yeah, those are three, but very off the hat and probably could improve on next
0: time. No, that's good. That's good. No, that, that was enjoyable. That's already an hour and a half. Amazing. I could probably go for fucking two and a half hours if we had red wine, but, uh, yeah, yeah, really interesting. I think, maybe, bringing up the fucking relationship stuff and going down to like, psychology and shit, I always just end up going down that route and people give me stick, stick on it, in a way, sometimes in comments and stuff, but, I just feel like it's, a huge part of, any business. Life. Yeah, because, ultimately as an entrepreneur, I feel like, obviously business is, kind of blends with life, and, they both play into each other and yeah I guess I've just been reflecting a lot on like the holistic approach to life rather than just fucking staring at a screen and yeah I don't know I think I need to find myself a yogi wife that's like and it can teach me to control my manic mind Yeah. so so I, I, I like pondering different ideas surrounding it it's cool
1: yeah I think it's I think it's really I think it's yeah like I said it's definitely saved me I think like it's helped me like balance a bit on the work hard, stay humble approach as mm. well. Like, um, and just enjoy life for what it is and like practice gratitude, like f- practice being vulnerable, you know, it's like the hardest thing in the world, but actually it's probably like the biggest strength. And I think that's something that I've always, well, quite recently, like being inspired by you from is just like, oh, thanks. you know, really delivering it how it is. And yeah. I don't think any, Well, it very rarely gets done like that, especially for, quote-unquote, like, successful people. Mm. Um, And I think that's the ultimate strength, but obviously not an easy thing, and it takes a lot of self-awareness and probably a bunch of
0: therapy. But that's the goal. If anyone can recommend a good therapist, by the way, put it in the comments or some shit, or DM me, because I definitely need to get one. I'm just doing, like, the classic male thing of... uh, I've got feelings I need to deal with, but stubborn, like, just, like, putting it off. Oh, like, I'll do it after I've fucking done this bit of work and it's probably like the most important thing I it's the best
1: money I've ever spent genuinely every three everyone weeks everyone
0: has said that to me bam so good is it in person do you do, uh, I actually so do it I feel it like I'd Zoom, rather do it in person that yeah, sort you, of shit no you can Yeah, I've had like, it in the past but never consistently and, and it's just like yeah like podcasts doing a podcast and speaking to mates and shit is therapy to an extent but I don't know like yeah I could maybe having that formal outlet from someone who is trained yeah. <laughs> to fucking get figure shit out it just helps you process your thoughts so much and
1: yeah I think genuinely best money I've ever spent I'd encourage anyone to do it obviously
0: without forcing it yeah interesting right that said cheers for watching the episode if you're enjoying the pod subscribe like share it to a friend all that good shit Um, it's been a lot of love on the pod to be fair I'm getting I think I had like 250 DMs last week or some bullshit which is actually mad because we only have 3,000 something subscribers but, yeah, going deep rather than wide, I suppose, to start with is, is the plan. And, yeah, I said 52 episodes in a year. This is episode 25, so we're, like, halfway there pretty much. Um, and I'm enjoying it. So cheers for watching. See you in the next episode. Peace.